0: God is at work through His local church and through the teaching of His Word. This morning on MyBridge Radio, we are pleased to share a favorite message from Relevant Community Church. Here's Pastor Ronnie Rothie from Relevant. Well, something I do every single day is go to the gym and lift weights. I don't do cardio because that's stupid, but I go to the gym and lift weights, and I hardly ever miss a day. Uh, But a few weeks ago, my whole family went on vacation, and then coming back from vacation, we traveled all day long, End up getting back into town about 3 p.m. in the afternoon. I hadn't hit the gym yet that day, but I was tired. I just wanted to go and lay on the couch. But I ended up going to the gym anyway. Uh, and after I was done working out, I stopped by the front desk because the gal who was working uh, sees me all the time in the morning. And so I just stopped by, talked to her real quick before I left. She said, hey, why are you so late today? How come you didn't work out this morning? And I was like, oh, we just traveled back, just got back, you know, at 3 p.m. And so I couldn't get here till now. And she said, I wish I was as motivated as you are. And I started laughing on the inside and just started chuckling. And I said to her, I'm not motivated to be here. If the only time I came is when I was motivated, I would never come. I said, motivation is absolutely, completely overrated. I am here for one reason, and that reason is discipline. And I'm going to come back to that word in just a second. But today, we're in part three of this series that we've called Faithful. And over the last few weeks, we've discovered that Jesus' agenda for his first and for his 21st century followers is that they and we would be people characterized by big, active, in spite of unshakable faith in him, confidence in him, trust in him. People who, no matter what happens to us, no matter what comes along, have unwavering confidence that God is in control. People who, regardless of what life throws at us, trust that God has a plan for our lives. When we experience the death of a loved one, the job loss, infertility, suffering, pain, disappointment, people who have extraordinary, big, out-of-the-box, mind-boggling, unwavering, unshakable faith that God is with us, that God is working, that God is there, and who actively proclaim, Jesus, no matter what, I trust you. And because of our faith in him, people who experience unexplainable hope and peace and joy, even when our lives seem to be falling apart. Now, imagine if you could have faith like that. I believe one of the reasons that you're here is because you want that type of faith. Unfortunately, so many people, uh, you know, and for, for some of us, you know, that may seem like a far-fetched dream. You've just seen too much. You know too much. You've experienced too much. But I believe with every fabric of my brain, being that this is where God wants to take you. It's where he wants to take me. It's where he wants to take us regardless of where we're at currently on our faith journey. And the reason God wants to build into people, the reason God wants to build into you an extraordinary, big, out-of-the-box, mind-boggling, unshakable kind of faith in him is because of one key word. And don't miss this word. That word is relationship. God created humanity. God created you for a relationship with him. A growing, real, authentic, interactive, intimate relationship where we experience his power and presence in our lives. But this is so important to know. Our faith in Jesus and the quality of our of our faith in Him, our our faith in Jesus. Excuse me, and the quality of our relationship with Him. Those two things are intertwined because, as we talked about the last few weeks, as trust goes, so goes the relationship. This is especially true between you and God. The question is, how do we get, develop, and grow an enduring, go the distance, unshakable faith? An extraordinary faith that informs our real world responses, decisions, and actions as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And the reality is, is that being faithful doesn't happen by accident. God wants to grow your faith, but being full of the faith that God wants for you and being full of the faith that you want for you doesn't happen by chance. It doesn't happen by accident. So what fuels the development of extraordinary faith? Where does that come from? What are the essential ingredients that when stirred together result in enduring trust in Jesus? Well, based on what Jesus taught and Jesus modeled, combined with hearing hundreds of stories of people who have developed extraordinary faith, we've concluded that there are five faith catalysts that God uses to fuel our faith in him. There may be more, but I'm convinced there are at least five. Because over and over and over, when people say, here's the thing God used to grow my faith. Here's the thing God used to transform my faith. They always seem to fall into one of five categories. And throughout this series, we're taking a deep dive into each one of these. So if you're someone who wants to grow in faith, who wants to strengthen your faith who wants to start or maybe restart faith, who wants to maybe rediscover faith, this series is for you because regardless of where you're at on your faith journey, as you move into the future, these five will intersect with your life in every season of life. If you choose to lean into these five catalysts, God can and will use them to fuel an enduring, extraordinary, unshakable faith in him. And not only do you want that, but that's what God wants for you. The first faith catalyst that we looked at last week was what we call practical biblical teaching. Before I jump into the second faith catalyst that we're going to dive into today, before I do that, I want to come back to a word that many of us don't like, but I mentioned a few seconds ago. And that word is discipline. Now, discipline is a word that many of us love to ignore Many of us love to resist but when, because when we think about discipline, we think about what, you know, doing what we feel like we ought to do but don't really want to do. And many of us hate this word being even brought up because we all know people who are more disciplined than we are. And on one hand, we're inspired by them. On the other hand, we want to punch them in the face and we want them to go away. I mean, we all have that thing that we feel like we ought to do but we don't want to do because it requires dreaded discipline. Well, one of the interesting things about discipline is even though we initially resist it, we never end up regretting it. I mean, anyone who's ever chosen to be disciplined in any area of life never regretted that decision because of what can only be learned on the other side of the of the decision to be disciplined. And that is that discipline facilitates progress. You know this. There is no progress without discipline. None. I mean, you can hope and wish and pray all day long to have six pack abs, but you never will without disciplining yourself to work out and eat really healthy. You can hope and you can wish and you can dream and you can pray all day long to be debt free, but you never will without disciplining yourself to budget, to spend less than you make, to save, to not buy what you can't afford. You can hope and you can wish and you can pray all day long to have a great marriage. But you never will without disciplining yourself to communicate, to have fun together, to spend time with one another, to forgive one another. We we already know this. There is no progress in anything without discipline. In any area of your life where you wanna see progress, you've gotta make the choice to be disciplined. Another interesting thing about discipline is that attitude is unrelated to outcome. And what I mean by that is if you work out with a bad attitude, there's still progress. And sometimes, sometimes ought to becomes want to. I used to hate going to the gym and lifting weights. And now I love it. I used to feel like an ought to, like I'm supposed to do this thing. But after years of being disciplined and doing it, I want to do it now because as you can see, I've experienced the extraordinary benefits of lifting <laughs> weights. <laughs> now, what I <laughs> wasn't in my notes. <laughs> now, what does all this have to do with faith? And the answer is everything. The second catalyst that God uses to fuel our faith is a specific kind of Discipline. We call it private spiritual disciplines. And by the way, there are all kinds of private spiritual disciplines. Here's, I'm gonna put a few up on the screen. These are not, this is not an exhaustive list. There's no priority. They're just alphabetically ordered. These are different examples of private spiritual disciplines. Now, here's the deal. When people tell their stories about their faith and their trust and their confidence in God growing, one of the things that consistently shows up is, then I started praying. Then I started to read the Bible on my own. Then I started writing out my prayers in a journal. Then I started financially giving on a regular basis. And what you hear over and over and over when people tell their stories is, at first, I f- it felt like I ought to do this. But as I began to incorporating that spiritual discipline in my life, God began to do something in my heart and my faith God bigger. And now they would tell you what began as an ought to has become a want to that I can't imagine my life without because God continues to what God continues to do through it in me and my faith. Over and over and over one of the catalysts God uses to fuel our faith are private spiritual disciplines. And why? Well, because and here's the big idea I hope you remember, private spiritual disciplines grow our relationship with Jesus. Your personal relationship with Jesus is the absolute most important thing when it comes to your faith either growing or eroding. What's true about all private uh, private spiritual disciplines is that they all help us grow our relationship with Jesus in a way that nothing else can and in a way that nothing else will do. And before I tell you why that's the case, I want to look at what Jesus himself had to say about them. The most famous sermon Jesus ever gave is recorded in Matthew 5 through 6, or 5 through 7, and it's called the Sermon on the Mount. Last week we looked at how Jesus actually concluded that sermon. Today, we're going to look at something that Jesus had to say within that sermon that's recorded in Matthew 6. In the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus specifically talks about three private spiritual disciplines. Now, we're only going to look at two of the three today because, to be honest with you, the third may be way too convicting. For some of us today. So as we listen to Jesus' words, I just want to encourage you to pay special attention to two things. The first thing I want to encourage you to pay special attention to is what Jesus said the outcome of these two private spiritual disciplines are, because th- this is the powerful outcome of all private spiritual disciplines. Second thing to pay attention to is your emotions and your thoughts. As we listen to Jesus' words here, you may feel some internal tension. Or you may find yourself arguing, making excuses, justifying, resisting. And if you find yourself feeling that or thinking that, I would encourage you to ask yourself, why? Why am, I, why am I feeling that? Why am I doing that right now? And as you ask that question, why? Remember, your faith is like a muscle. If you feel yourself resisting what Jesus is saying, it's, it, it's possible that this is where your faith muscle needs Exercised. It's possible that this is where God wants to work in you so that your faith can grow. So here we go. Be careful not to practice your righteousness. And by the way, an, another English translation says, Be careful not to practice your acts of righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. And I'm like, why, Jesus? And here's why. Because if you do, you will have no, and this is a super important word, reward from your Father in heaven. So Jesus is setting up this whole discussion with them about private spiritual disciplines. And he's saying, "Hey, you may do what I'm about ready to talk about publicly, but there's got to be a private and personal element to all of this. If you if you do these privately and consistently, your heavenly Father is going to see this and he is going to Reward you. And all the real spiritual people are going, I'm not doing it for a reward. And that's fine. But he's still going to reward you as you participate in these acts of righteousness or these private spiritual disciplines. And then Jesus gave the first example of a spiritual discipline to do privately. So when you give, so when you give to the needy, real quick, in the Hebrew scriptures, our Old Testament, one of the laws that God gave the Israelites to live as his people was to give a tithe. ...to support the temple ministry. You know, the temple itself, the priests who worked within the temple... ...and everything within the temple. Tithe means tenth. But by the first century, a devout Jew was giving 10 to 20% of everything that they had to God... ...to keep the temple going. It kind of felt like a tax to them, but they did it because it was part of God's law to them. This was not the giving that Jesus was referring to here. The specific type of giving that Jesus was talking about here was called almsgiving... See, the Jews, as Jews went in and out of the temple to to give their tithe uh, in in Jerusalem, poor people would line up outside the temple and they would beg. So these Jews would bring extra money to give to these poor Jewish people. And it was not a systematic thing. It was kind of like a, you have a need. I feel sorry for you. Here's some money out of the tenderness of my heart for you. The tithe was giving that was required for them. Almsgiving was giving that was above and beyond all of that. And Jesus is saying, hey, as you're going to the temple to give your tithe, and then you see people with needs and you decide to give extra to them, when you give, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the, uh, in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their, here's that word again, reward in full. And Jesus is saying, there's a reward associated with the spiritual discipline of giving generously when you give to be seen or to be acknowledged by others you get a reward and the reward you get in full is simply to be seen and acknowledged by others that's it that's the full reward reward you get no other reward but when you give to the needy do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing Basically, when you feel like you should do that, like you ought to do that, you know, do it right now without thinking one second about it. That's how you do it without your right hand, left left hand knowing. Do it without praying about it one more second, about being concerned what's going to happen to you. Do it without letting your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be done in secret. Saying there's a private, personal element to this spiritual discipline. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will, here it is once again, reward you. And let me ask you, who would you rather receive a reward from? All-powerful creator God who controls the universe? Or someone who doesn't have any power to control what happens to you in this life or the next? Now, we'll talk about what the reward from our Heavenly Father is in just a minute. But let me ask you a really convicting question. What if you really believed these words of Jesus? What if you really believed that when you took your hard-earned money and generously gave it to the things and people that God cared about, that he saw and would reward you. I would argue that one of the reasons that people, maybe you, aren't more generous is because we don't believe that. And that's why giving isn't a money issue. It's a trust issue. It's a heart issue. Listen, all the angst we feel about giving, all the what ifs, all the tension you feel, you know, when the pastor talks about money and the church just wants my money and all the excuses we make not to give because we won't have enough for ourselves and how will I pay the bills? All that would go away if we really believe that God saw and would reward. We'd be like, "Cool, another opportunity to give." But we don't feel that because we don't believe it, and we won't start believing it until we trust God enough to do it. Jesus then moved on to give a second example of a spiritual discipline to do privately. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Jesus is saying, hey, there's definitely a way not to pray. The way not to pray is like a hypocrite who cares more about being seen and noticed by others than by God. And you can do that, but if you do, here's what you need to know. Truly I tell you, they have received, and here that word is again, reward in full. Just like with the first spiritual discipline of giving, there's a reward attached to the spiritual discipline of prayer as well. Jesus is saying, when you pray to be seen by others, to impress others, you get a reward. The reward is you're seen by them and you might even impress them, but that's your only reward, nothing else. Implication being, God isn't moved or impressed by our public scripted perfect prayers of inauthentic people. He goes on, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. As with all the spiritual disciplines, there's a private, personal element to the spiritual discipline discipline of prayer. Let me ask you a question. Super important question. What's your most valuable asset? If you think money is your most valuable asset, you're dead wrong. Because you can lose all the money you have, and you can make more back. That means it's not the most valuable thing. Your most valuable asset is your time. Because once your time is gone, you can't make more back. It's gone. Here's what Jesus is implying here. Take the best minutes of your day and spend it alone with your heavenly father in prayer. Well, Jesus, that's not possible. I have three kids and two jobs and a big project coming up. And I got to get this term paper done. And I'm busy on my team. And I play select baseball. You don't even know how busy I am, Jesus. Jesus going, I'm so sorry. I had no idea how busy you were. He's going, yes, I know how busy you are. Now I want you to trust me enough to take your most valuable asset, your time, and devote the best of it to your heavenly father in prayer by yourself. And side note, I think a really cool thing Jesus does here is Jesus knew that prayer can be hard. Jesus knew that prayer can be frustrating because he goes, hey, I realize you can't see your father. He knew that's frustrating. He knew that's hard. But here's why the private spiritual discipline of prayer is so important. He's saying, then, as in, if you do this, if you consistently get by yourself and pray to your heavenly father whom you can't see, then your father, who you can't see, but who sees what is done in secret, will, what's the word? Reward you. You're going, well, Jesus, I... I can't pray while I'm driving to work. I can't pray while I'm walking the dog, while I'm getting ready in the morning. Like I can't pray with others and in my small group, like I have to go to my room with the door closed. And Jesus, of course you can. And of course you should pray with others and on the go and as much as possible. You're missing the point here. And it's imperative that we don't miss it because what Jesus is telling us is so important. The point Jesus is making is about the reward that's associated with the private Spiritual discipline of prayer. And the true reward isn't God answering your prayers. The true, the ultimate reward is something so much bigger, so much better, so much richer, and so much deeper than that. And before I explain what that, what, what that is, the third example of a private spiritual discipline Jesus talked about a few verses later is fasting. As I said before, we're not going to look at, at what Jesus had to say about that today, but you should read about it yourself this week. If you read about it this week, what you're going to discover Jesus saying is right at the end of that is, then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. The question is, what's the reward? And I think there's many rewards, but I believe the ultimate reward of private spiritual disciplines that Jesus is referring to here is how they impact our relationship with God. As I said before, your personal relationship with Jesus is the most important thing when it comes to your faith either growing or eroding. What's true about all private spiritual disciplines is that they help grow our relationship with Jesus in a way that nothing else can do and nothing else will do. Bottom line is this. Private spiritual disciplines grow our relationship with Jesus. And that's the ultimate reward because the more our relationship with Jesus deepens and grows, the more our faith and trust and confidence in him then grows. And that's what God desires for you. And there's nothing more rewarding than that. And the reason I believe that private spiritual disciplines grow and deepen our relationship with Jesus is because maybe more than anything else that we have the ability to choose to do or not do, private spiritual disciplines align our hearts with God's hearts. They grow our trust in Him. And private spiritual disciplines transfer our trust to Him. It's why I've said every single week, as trust goes, so goes the relationship. So... Do you want to experience the reward of a growing relationship with Jesus? If so, you need to remember that discipline facilitates progress. Like with everything in life, there is no progress without discipline. And that's true in every relationship as well. We saw earlier there are numerous private spiritual disciplines, but I want to invite you to incorporate three into your lives. After years of following Jesus, I can confidently say that what you choose to do with these three private spiritual disciplines will greatly affect you growing in a relationship with Jesus or not. Here's the first one I invite you to incorporate into your life. Reading the Bible. At Relevant, we believe the Bible. We believe the Bible is God's, listen, word to us. Reading scripture helps us grow in our relationship with Jesus because this is the primary, one of the primary ways God's, God. Speaks to us. It's how we come to know God and his truths and his will and his promises and his ways. We can't grow in our relationship with him if we aren't allowing him to speak to us in this way. The second private spiritual discipline I encourage you to incorporate into your life is praying. Many people, unfortunately, think prayer is ultimately about getting stuff from God. And that's not the ultimate purpose of prayer. That's not the ultimate purpose reward of prayer. Ultimately, this is so important, ultimately prayer is a relational pathway. Prayer helps us grow in our relationship with Jesus because it's how we relationally and intentionally interact with God. Prayer is where we express our dependence and our love and our praise to God. Prayers where we surrender to God. Prayers where we pour out our hearts, our emotions, our desires, our needs to God. Prayers where we seek God's guidance and seek God's wisdom. Prayers where we rest in the presence of God. We'll never grow in a relationship with Jesus if we aren't interacting with Him. We'll never grow in our relationship with our Heavenly Father if we aren't interacting with Him like our father, instead of like a genie in a bottle. These first two private spiritual disciplines, reading the Bible and prayer, help us grow because they relationally align our hearts with God's heart, God's will, God's character in a way that nothing else can in a way that nothing else does. Over and over and over, when people tell their story about their relationship with Jesus growing and thus their faith growing, you will hear about these two private spiritual disciplines. Here's a third private spiritual discipline I want to encourage you to incorporate into your life. Giving generously. I think Jesus had started his conversation on private spiritual disciplines with giving because of what he knew and what we need to be honest about. And that is the thing that exposes and stretches our trust in God more than anything, money. Because what we're tempted to trust in most for our future and hope and peace and freedom is money. The problem is no amount of money can give you true hope, true peace, true fulfillment, true true security. No amount of money can give you eternal life. Only God can, and he wants to teach us to trust him for it. So wouldn't it make sense for Jesus to specifically target the thing we trust in most now in order to get us to trust him more now? Listen, God doesn't want your money and he surely doesn't need your money. He wants to grow your trust in him because as trust goes, so goes the relationship. So in regards to your finances, he says, trust me, trust me. And it is so easy to say, I trust God. But what we do in terms of our generosity demonstrates and authenticates if we really do Not only that, God uses our giving to transfer our trust in him, which in turn grows our relationship with him. You hear this phrase all the time around relevant. Generosity generates transformation. And what we mean by that is God transforms our faith through generosity in ways he doesn't in any other way. Because through generosity, we're choosing to trust Jesus with the number one competitor for our hearts. And when we do, money loses its grip on our hearts so our hearts can actually grow in a relationship with Jesus. So, do you want to receive the reward of growing in a relationship with Jesus? Do you want to experience the reward of God fueling your faith? If so, I wanna close by giving you a 30-day challenge. For the next 30 days, I challenge you to incorporate two habits into your life. Now, here's what all of us know to be true. Our habits shape our lives. Good habits shape our lives in a positive way, Bad habits shape our lives in a negative way. The only chance you have to incorporate these three private spiritual disciplines in your life I just got on talking about is by developing some good habits around them. A habit takes about 30 days to stick, which is the reason I want you to develop these two habits for the next 30 days. Here's the first one. Predetermine a daily rhythm of time with God and stay consistent. In the next 24 hours, before this day is out, I want to encourage you to predetermine when you're going to spend time with God in solitude every day to pray and read the Bible and then stay committed to it for the next 30 days. Well, I don't have time to. Listen, you don't have time not to if you want your faith to grow. No relationship grows without spending time with one another. This is where and how you spend time with God. When and how long you spend time with God, that's different for every single person. The important thing is daily, daily, daily consistency here's a second habit I encourage you to incorporate for the next 30 days. Pre-decide what to give and stick with it. Before this day is out, pray a super powerful question. God, what would you have me do in regards to my generosity over the next month? If you pray that prayer, I guarantee he's going to answer. Could be a certain amount, could be a certain percentage. And if the answer makes you uncomfortable and you're like, mm, I must not be hearing from God. You probably are. Don't dismiss it because it's in that tension he's inviting you to trust God. Me. So choose to follow Jesus and trust Him. Trust Him by giving it first. Before you save, before you invest, before you spend anything on yourself, faithfully, consistently, generously, cheerfully for the next 30 days. If you do both of these habits for the next 30 days, your faith will grow. I've been doing these two habits for years, and God has used them to grow my faith and fuel my grow my relationship with him and fuel my faith. If you take this 30-day challenge and you stick with it, I can't guarantee everything that will happen. But I can guarantee that your relationship and your trust in God will grow. So here's my final question for you. What's stopping you from incorporating private spiritual disciplines into your life? What excuses are you making? What justifications are you using? Most people want their faith to grow. And yet, most people aren't willing to discipline themselves enough for it to actually happen. So whatever's been stopping you, it's time to take a next step. If you do, then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And the ultimate reward is your relationship with Jesus will grow. And thus, your faith will grow. And initially, this may feel like a have to, like an ought to, like a supposed to. But there's no progress without discipline. And who knows? What begins as an ought to may become a want to. But either way, your faith (laughs) will grow. Thank you for joining us this morning for a favorite message from Pastor Ronnie Rothy from Relevant Community Church. If you'd like to hear this message again or more like it, check out Heard On Air on the MyBridge Radio app or online at mybridgeradio.net.